Welcome back to another very special Andrew says I wasn't looking at the camera for some reason. Every episode is special, isn't it? Everyone with me today, Rachel Emanuel, who tells me that I can pronounce her name any way I want. How are you doing? I'm doing well today. Thank you. True North now counter signal, I believe, and Epoch Times. You've basically got the whole country covered at this point, I think. Yeah, well, that's the plan. No one is safe. <laughs> Infowars coming soon. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about Alberta right off the jump here. You're based out there in Edmonton, I think. Yeah, exactly. Most of the time. I mean, okay. there's a UCP leadership race going on right now. So I'm sort of all over the province, but unfortunately based in Edmonton. <laughs> Why is that unfortunate? Well, I mean, I left Ottawa, you know, to get away from the stench of the liberals and it's really not much better in Edmonton, to be honest. Well, I'm glad it's not a literal stench, unless it is. I mean, I call Edmonton the Oshawa of Alberta, city where I'm from. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Oshawa, Ontario. The dirty schwa, of That's course. That's right. Uh, I flew over Edmonton, uh, landed there, and I was like, this is just a really big Oshawa, I feel like, um, just based on the infrastructure. So the UCP leadership, how do you see that rolling out from, uh, from this point on? And I also wanted to ask you about Jason Kenney. And where do you think people fell off with him and why he he left and everything? Do you think it was because of lockdowns and because, you know, a little bit of flip flopping that he did? Give us your whole uh, opinion on that. Sure. So, I mean, I'll start with the UCP leadership race. Um, it's been such a bizarre race. Like there hasn't been a ton of major scandals. There's been like a lot of smaller um, and sort of silly things. Like, for example, just yesterday, someone was sending out robocalls pretending to be from the Todd Lowen campaign. And Todd Lowen was like, I had nothing to do with this. There's been just like a lot of like smaller controversies and things like that, but nothing super big. Um, but yeah, just like a lot of small, silly things dropping off. Uh, candidates, sorry, actually voters have already begun to receive their mail-in ballots. So at this point, I don't expect we'll see a lot of like huge information dropping because it wouldn't make sense for the campaigns to hold on to anything this late into the game because people are already sending back their mail-in ballots. There is also going to be the option to vote in person on October 6th, um, and then the results will be announced that same day. So Danielle Smith has pretty much been the front runner throughout this whole race. I would say it's hers to lose at this point. Uh, a lot of people that I've spoken to have said they think there's about a 10% chance that Travis Taves, the former finance minister under Jason Kenney, can pull off a, a win. But I think everyone's pretty much expecting a Danielle victory at this point. It's just unclear, you know, if she's going to win on the first ballot or a little later into the rounds, maybe after, you know, Rebecca Schultz and Todd Lowen drop off. So that's how that's shaping out. We'll have obviously, you know, the results for that will be coming next month. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the race being done. Um, meanwhile, you know, in terms of Jason Kenney, he had to resign after he got the results of his leadership review because no conservative leader, leader has ever been able to stay on in their leadership role with such low support from within their own party. So he really had no choice but to resign. I think the thing that was most interesting about that is he kept saying, you know, I'm going to stay on as long as I get 50% plus one. If I stay on, if I have a over 50%, I have a mandate to continue. That's what he told the press. I actually interviewed him the day before his leadership results came in. 
So, you know, you always have two stories ready, the one for if he fails his leadership review versus if he passes. So I had both those stories ready, but I didn't have one for if he passes, but chooses to resign anyways. So I had to kind of quickly scramble, which was a bit of a lesson learned. That being said, I think all of us media were caught pretty flat footed that day. Everyone was pretty shocked because they said his they said the results of his leadership review and it was over 50 percent. And there was just like cheers from the room. And then he comes on stage and he resigns anyways. So everyone was really, really caught off guard. But he had no choice because, as I said, they were just such low numbers and he clearly didn't have the support of the party. And I think people would have been coming for him at every turn anyways. In terms of why he lost support, I definitely think it was because of the restrictions that we saw during COVID-19. One of the things you'll hear now is people will also say, you know, he didn't do enough on getting us a fair deal from Ottawa. That's something that a lot of the candidates have been talking about throughout the leadership race. But I don't think if that alone would have been enough for people to have, you know, spurred this massive leadership race. Certainly everyone that I've talked to and people that I've been covering, you know, they're unhappy with Kenny's lack of progress on getting a fair deal from Ottawa. But that's not the reason they started organizing to oust him. The reason they started organizing to oust him is because of the restrictions that he put in place during COVID-19, and especially that because pastors were arrested in Alberta, which isn't really something we saw elsewhere in Canada. And, you know, Alberta is considered sort of Canada's stronghold, conservative province, and people didn't feel that that was what was being delivered during the pandemic. Do you feel that you're going to be able to trust this party under a new leadership? Do you, do you think that it can actually, I mean, I don't know how you feel about all that stuff you just mentioned. Um, but do you feel like you'd be able to trust them moving forward to not do something like this again? I mean, it really depends on the leader. It is pretty crazy how much power like a leader of a political party has. It's a bit too bad. I think that a lot of times people complain. MLAs certainly complain, you know, MPPs in Ontario and elsewhere. They don't seem to have much of their own independent voice. And when you do see people step out of line, a lot of times they get kicked out of their caucus pretty quickly. That was the case with Roman Babber over in Ontario. He didn't agree with Doug Ford's decisions on lockdowns. He got booted from the caucus. It was also the case here in Alberta with Todd Lowen and Drew Barnes. They spoke up against the lockdowns they didn't agree with with them and they were also kicked out of their caucus so it really the person who's in power over the party at a given time has so much control over their caucus and really dictates what the messaging is going to be so i think it depends on who that individual person is i mean every political party across canada there's so much corruption i think it's something that surprised me so much when i first started being a reporter and as time goes on you just kind of shrug your shoulders and say this is the way that it is but you always hope that after a leadership race, things will go a little bit differently. You know, in terms of the messaging that we've seen now coming from the candidates, they have been really hesitant to say that they would lock down again because there's been so much opposition and everyone knows, you know, that's why Kenny got removed, even if they're not willing to admit that. So most of the candidates have come out and said that's not something that they're willing to reconsider. But, you know, politicians promise a lot of things during an election campaign and you don't necessarily know what they're going to do once they're in power. Do you have the same worry that I have with the federal conservative party that all those people, we can call them elements that were in the party during the lockdowns are still there? I mean, with Pierre in charge of the party, or I guess the leader of the party, who knows who's in the shadows, but uh, with him in the leadership role, you still, Aaron O'Toole's still there. Um, some of the more woker people are still there. And definitely the people who said nothing during two years of lockdown are still there. Do you think that we start to see a shift be, uh, towards more independent people or is that just too far off? I, I'm, I'm thinking on a provincial level, we could shift towards more independent people, um, especially with what happened in Ontario. And there were several people that spoke out. A couple of people re resigned, I guess, or they're just not going to seek reelection. Um, Lindsay Park is one of them. And. 
I think there's a, a way forward for people to get elected independently provincially. Federally, I don't think there's much of a pathway to get away from the major parties. How do you feel about that? It doesn't seem like there's any pathway to move away from the two-party system that we pretty much see in Ottawa. I mean, of course, we have the NDPs and the Bloc Québécois, so it's not quite as two-party system as we would see in the U.S., for instance. But it's so hard to make any movement on your own when you're outside of a party. Even if we think about, you know, during COVID-19, when Aaron O'Toole was in power and he really didn't wasn't in opposition at all. He pretty much was like the liberal government's cheerleader and was like, in some cases, you know, why aren't we adding restrictions quicker or faster? <laughs> so I think it was really disappointing that we saw just a total abysmal failure of the Conservative Party during COVID-19 at a time when it was so crucial to us to have a real opposition voice. And you're absolutely correct. Like most of those people have not been held account and most of those people are still within the party. And we're all supposed to sort of say, oh, well, you know, that's over, that's past now, even though a lot of these people have proven that they are unwilling to stand up and put their necks on the line when it does count. That being said, I know it can be very difficult within your party. I know that if you lose, you know, your seat within the Conservative Party, you're very likely to lose your seat if you're running as an independent. That was the case for Derek Sloan. He was somebody that was willing to, you know, stand up for what he believed in and speak out against what was happening. The O'Toole Conservatives sort of, you know, like abandoned him very quickly and did so in a pretty, I think, unfair way with the, you might remember the attacks about how he had received a donation from a white supremacist mm -hmm. as if everyone pays attention to every single person who gives them a donation. Like that's pretty ridiculous. And the joke of course was that the same white supremacist was also a member of the conservative party. So it was just totally ridiculous how that happened. And then of course he did not, you know, win reelection in his seat. He, he actually ran in an Alberta riding and his wife ran in his riding, which was really interesting, but neither of them, you know, were elected. And then he tried his whole thing with, you know, having the Ontario party this year, which he was running and heading up and he ran again in the Ontario provincial election. He was unsuccessful to be elected there. So it seems like unless you are a part of a mainstream political party, it is very hard to get elected. And I think a lot of these people think if I just bite my tongue, hopefully I can, you know, be a voice for good later on in the future, but I really need to keep my seat to do that. And I do respect that for a bit. But at the end of the day, when everyone is so afraid of losing their job, and then we see what we saw with the O'Toole Conservatives, where none of them were willing to speak up during COVID. And I just felt like, you know, the voters and the constituents were not really getting value for what they were paying for and what they were expecting from their government. Yeah, I 100% agree on all of that. And for the politicians that are moving around trying to get elected in different places, I think that's going to come back to bite them. Um, it worked for Leslie Lewis. Uh, she was able to turn that first nomination into um, a victory. But uh, some of the stuff that Sloan was doing almost seemed like revenge and it didn't work out for him um, in the long run, it turns out. Switching gears a little bit, did you see Justin singing? I want to play that, Olivia, please. For anyone who hasn't, were you impressed by his singing chops? I was not impressed. <laughs> no. Let's play it. I want to hear it again. Is it better if he's drunk or sober, do you think, in that? I have, I have no idea. I have no way of knowing either way. But what do you think would be better? Drunk, for yeah. sure. It would kind of be funny if he was just drunk. I picture him. He's in this room. He's like, all oh, the attention's got to be on me, you guys. Let's pull up the piano. I'll sing all the greatest hits. He needs an album. Is this where uh, it's at this point now where he does everything so embarrassingly that 
it's almost not even embarrassing anymore. I mean, obviously it is, but do you expect any better from him at this point? I don't think the media can even grasp how ridiculous it is when they, I forget which outlet it is, but one of them was saying how he's tr giving a tribute to the queen by singing queen. What world are we in? I know. It's just so insane. And to your point, I think it was, you know, Rebel News' Sheila Gunn-Reed that said when she heard there was going to be the funeral in London, she was like, oh, no, like, what is Trudeau going to do to embarrass <laughs> us now? And it's so true. Like, the man literally cannot leave Canadian soil mm -hmm. without doing something so embarrassing on the international stage like the other countries. And I actually found, like, the American media was more appalled over this than Canadian media, which is, you know, maybe not overly surprising, but... They were all like, this is such a joke. Like, this man cannot be serious. And once again, Trudeau has found a way to just absolutely embarrass the Canadian reputation on the international stage. No wonder, you know, the joke Canada is not a real country is going around. But I suppose I hope that he was drinking a little bit in the video because <laughs> I would just be so concerned that anyone would have the confidence to sing that song in such a terrible way that he sang it and clearly was <laughs> unable to hit a lot of those notes while sober. Like, you think you would maybe know a little bit better, but, you know, you know, if he'd had a couple drinks, could excuse him a little bit for the bad singing not for what he done he is a world leader on an international country people are going to be paying attention to you and taking photos and videos of you at every opportunity he knew this was going to be public and he didn't care i would like to see the full video that's not a short song and there's a lot of <laughs> ebbs and flows to it olivia did you say it's the toronto star who said that let's see that i want to read that uh that budding review of justin trudeau oh i'm gonna have to Put on some glasses. No, no, that's fine. I'm glad you're making me look young. Um, I'm 19, Rachel, just in case you're wondering. Uh, Prime oh. Minister Justin Trudeau's impromptu tribute to Queen included a hotel piano in Bohemian Rhapsody. The idea that there's a connection between the song they happen to record him singing and the Queen of England is so ridiculous that you have to be typing that out and being like, I better get hired by the Trudeau administration for writing this. Um, maybe another song, maybe like um, Stairway to Heaven he could have done. There's a lot of songs I'd like to see him sing, but that was basically a sketch. And you're right. Whenever he goes out to a different country, he somehow loses. Like, I remember when he went to India and he danced and and uh, dressed up in their traditional garb. He still came away with a losing trade deal. That was a great part of it, that not only did he embarrass himself internationally, he had an embarrassing trade deal where we gave them uh, three to one in terms of monetary exchange. Like it was a bad deal financially. And he man he so he managed to fail on all fronts. I don't know what other countries he can go to. There's that meme where it's um, all the different things he's dressed up as. Can you find that, Olivia? Thank you. Um, what was your take on, and we'll get back to that, I promise. What was your take on this exchange between uh, Polyev and the global news guy, David Aiken? Did you have an opinion on that? Did you think it was as bad as a lot of people said? Or And I, and I want to get to what Jagmeet said. I watched that earlier. Or did you think it was a little bit overblown? What did you think about that? So I actually used to be a reporter on Parliament Hill. I've been in those press conferences many, many times. I've never seen a reporter sort of the word being used, and I think probably pretty correctly was heckle. I've never seen another reporter heckle anyone who was speaking at any point, like anything even remotely close to that. Certainly there are times when 
political leaders are unwilling to take questions and they kind of come and deliver remarks. And, you know, that's, of course, frustrating for the media. I do agree that, you know, politicians should be held accountable when they're delivering a new policy proposal. They should be willing to take questions. And the other sort of interesting caveat is that I think Polyev is really, really good with the media. He's good on his feet. You know, he's quick and he sort of handles them when they're being a bit silly or they're asking dumb questions. I was always afraid to ask him questions in those press conferences because if he thinks your question is stupid, he will absolutely let you know. And he had definitely, he's definitely embarrassed me once or twice in a press conference. So he's so good with the media and I don't understand why he would shy away from taking questions from him, especially as a new leader. I do think it makes him look weak. That being said, you know, that's not really the point of the story. Um, that's not really what we're talking about here. So I've never seen a reporter sort of heckle somebody like that before. So the fact that, you know, David Aiken did that was really quite bizarre. Um, I didn't think that it was appropriate. I think he should have waited till the end and then sort of yelled out his questions as Polya was walking away. That being said, in a way it was effective. Like, my understanding of the situation was that Polyev's press secretary had sort of said to media, we're not going to be taking any questions today. And that really did not sit well with David Aiken. So he kind of continued to heckle Polyev throughout the press conference until he finally agreed to take some questions. Um, so he did kind of get what he wanted of the situation. And I was also told that I don't think he even actually asked his questions at the end of it. He allowed other reporters to take questions. I'm not sure if that's totally true. I just, you know, talked to another reporter in the gallery and that was um, their version of the events. So, you know, it is reporter's job to ask questions. I just think the thing that was mostly like the biggest takeaway was like, they would never do that with Trudeau and they have mm -hmm. never done that with Trudeau. So it showed such an obvious bias. Like if you want to be really hard with the media or like if you, if media wants to be really tough with politicians and do it to all of them, don't just do it to the conservatives who everyone already knows you have a huge bias against. Yeah. I don't see any yelling at any other politicians, not even Doug Ford. Nobody dared question him for two years, but let's play that Jagmeet clip because I thought the angle facing David Aiken away from a Pierre was a lot more revealing. First of all, showing that there's not actually that many people there. But uh, he started heckling the entire time. Like there wasn't, you know, he didn't sit through a long speech by Polyev and just say, when are you going to answer any questions? He started right from the beginning. And I think what Jagmeet, I don't know if Jagmeet didn't see the whole thing or he just wants to be loved by the media. It's probably the latter. But what he says here, and let's play this Olivia now, I think is a little dishonest. But he called that journalist a liberal heckler. What do you think about that? You know, I, I watched the, the, the video and, uh, you know, from one perspective, it sounded like someone was interrupting him. And then when I saw the, the cutaway, and this is an important thing for people to do. Sometimes you, you see one view and it looks like, OK, maybe it was uh, maybe it was some heckling. And then I saw the full view of what happened. And it was just a question. Are you going to take questions or why aren't you taking questions? And it seemed a pretty normal thing, something that's happened to me before people Asked if I'm going to take questions. It seems like a pretty standard thing if I'm going to come before um, a group of folks, professionals, whose job it is to, to write um, the news that they're going to ask me some questions about my positions. I kind of expect that. And the fact that instead of taking questions or saying, no, I'm not going to take questions, simple answer, uh, to, to make it into an attack um, seemed a bit uh, weak as a, as a response. Like, why not just say no or say, yeah, I'll take questions. And so it seemed like a bit of a weak approach to then somehow make it into someone's partisan political position. And I think it's a, an example of a, of a lack of the strength to be able to to be able to stand up and say what you want and, and defend your position. Now, I think one of two things is happening here with dear old Jagmeet. Either he didn't see the full video 
or he's trying to pull this cool guy move where he's like, I actually went and investigated and, and went through the fake news and saw it. And that's what everybody else should do. And I'm the honest guy. And uh, but it sounds like uh, he agrees with you a little bit in finding it weak. But I will give Mr. Jagmeet the credit that he has asked, answered questions from even daring to answer rebel news a couple times, even though he says it's his policy not to, um, unlike Trudeau and then uh, Mr. Legault. So I don't know. What do you th take away from Jagmeet from that? Like, is he a guy that you think is honest that just has bad ideas? Or do you think he's, you know, completely out of it? I think you're maybe being a little too generous with Mr. Jagmeet saying, I think that he is a terrible and ineffective politician that is in probably no way, you know, he despises Polyev and Polyev's popularity and probably recognizes that the NDP are going to be fairly wiped out in the next election, especially if he remains the, the NDP leader as he has been so ineffective and continues to lose seats at every opportunity. I'm sure he saw the whole video and I'm sure he's very clearly lying about what happened in that exchange. It, wasn't a simple little like back and forth question. I agree that Polyev looked weak only because he was unwilling to take questions from the beginning. I don't think he looked weak in how he framed it. I think how he framed it was actually really advantageous for him, especially as someone who was branded himself as disliking the mainstream media and wanting to defund the CBC. And I think the biggest joke about what Jagmeet Singh says is that he literally never gives the media like a straight answer. Whenever there's anything contentious going on, he gives these wishy-washy answers and is never willing to speak clearly about what his policy is. Like, for example, when I used to work on the Hill, a lot of times we'd ask him, you know, are you going to support the, the liberals bill? Are you going to you know, support the speech from the throne? Things like that would literally never give a straight yes or no answer would sort of said, oh, you know, well, we haven't and just couldn't say yes or no ever. And I found that's very much his leadership style because he probably doesn't like to be held account for things and would kind of wait till the last minute and not speak to media about it. So I don't think he's very clear with his policies at all. And I think it's pretty ironic the response that he gave. Were you there when he cried? No. Oh, what? That's unfortunate. Do you remember when he cried? I don't even remember this. You have to jog my memory. When he said that somebody was being racist to him and the speaker wouldn't make the person leave or apologize, he uh, came out after and, and cried because he said he faces stuff like that all the time. And so do so many people who look like him. They're facing constant, constant racism. That's what he cried about. The thing about the NDP is, is that no matter how much their candidates lose, they don't get rid of them or they don't ask them to step down. Andrea Horvath, Jagmeet Singh have lost, I think, three elections each now in a row and nothing changes at all. There's I don't think there's any other major political party in the West that will do that. Maybe a sm I mean, Maxime Bernier, but maybe the very small parties will do that. But Jagmeet. I think loses a little bit of ground each time. And uh, especially in a time when things are so polarized, he should be popular amongst left wing people. But luckily, I think there's this big swath of uh, the boomer mentality in Canada that keeps Trudeau in office. But you would think that in some way he would benefit from people saying the liberals aren't liberal enough and we're going further left. But that just doesn't seem to happen. And Andrea Horvath is just a wildly unintelligent candidate that I can't uh, I can't explain how she keeps her job. Did we have um, a clip of him crying or anything? Do you remember that? Jagme crying should bring it up. No. There. That looks like it's right. Let's show Rachel that. In Canada, we have not seen any action. 
There's been no action. The Prime Minister took a knee, but didn't bring any policy changes. In the States, they moved quicker on some policy changes than even Canada. And we think Canada's a progressive country. <laughs> but Canada did not bring forward any changes to the federal policing. So people are angry. People are frustrated. So today we brought forward a motion. And the motion was a pretty simple motion. Tackling systemic racism is going to take mm. a lot of work and a lot of effort. But there's some clear steps we can take. One is to call out that, yes, indeed, everyone in this House, the House of Commons, in Parliament acknowledges that there is systemic racism in the RCMP. Let's name that and make it clear. And then we went on in the motion to lay out some really clear steps. De-escalation should be your priority. I don't think anyone can disagree with that. We should be reviewing use of force because people should not be brutally beaten up over an expired license plate. And we put forward some changes around, shouldn't we respond to a health crisis with healthcare workers? Shouldn't they get funding instead of police? And in that moment, we put forward this motion that I thought, given where we are, given what's going on, given the lack of action, here's something we can do concretely to actually make a difference. And when the motion was presented, I heard a lot of people saying yes. And the speaker was about to move forward and accept that there was a lot of yeses. And then I heard one no, and the speaker didn't hear it. And then that MP repeated louder so he could be heard. And I looked back and he saw me look back and, and kind of shocked that anyone would say no to this motion. <laughs> Federal jurisdiction, clear path to do something about systemic racism in a moment where everyone's demanding action. And I looked back and I saw that MP, not only say no, but make eye contact with me and just kind of brush his hand, dismiss it. And in that <laughs> moment, I got angry. I'll be honest, I got angry. But I'm sad now. Oh, look at him work it out. Because Cry, why Jake can't we me. act? Cry, Jake, now. Why can't we do something to save people's lives? We can do something. And why would someone say no to that? He calls somebody racist and then he cries is the best part about it. I love that. I'm glad I got to be the one to show you that. How can I you am... disagree that there's not, or that there's systemic racism federally? Can't we do something based on something that happened in a different country? I love when Canadian politicians try to do like, it's the same thing with like the abortion legislation when Roe v. Wade was revoked in the States and all of a sudden that became a Canadian issue. And <laughs> in every major newspaper across Canada, there was a story about it. And I was like, this literally has nothing to do with Canada. We have no abortion laws here. Yeah. Like we should definitely have some. We don't have any. I don't think anyone needs to be worrying about abortion rights being rolled back. Like it was just the stupidest thing. And same with Jagmeet's crocodile tears. I also love when politicians try to like present these like flashy motions that include, you know, so many things, but they just have like this headline piece and they try to make it all about that. And then when someone votes against it, oh, well, that person's clearly a racist. Well, you're right. They do do that with everything. They did that with Roe v. Wade. I believe the narrative at that point was there's not enough um, access. There needs to be more abortion clinics. And then, of course, they do that with guns as well. There's a shooting in the U.S., that means we need to take this opportunity to restrict more guns. It's a, it's a lovely time in a lovely place. And uh, things are getting be better and better, and by which I mean worse, of course. Are you familiar with what's happening here in, uh, it's, it's Oakville, the, I almost said Halton, but it's the Halton uh, School Board. Uh, can we just bring up uh, B-roll or something, Olivia, of the uh, gigantic boob guy? Don't worry, everybody. I asked Rachel if she was okay with this. Um, 
this is just if it wasn't children involved, it'd be way funnier. But the fact that this guy is doing a shop class going against, first of all, safety hazards here with the hair. I believe when I He's was getting in high really school. close to slicing off one of his boobs as well. Man. Exactly. Like that is not enough. Like I would not be comfortable with that at all. Oof. In high school shop class, the girls are supposed to wear their hair up so it doesn't get caught in a saw or um, what's the uh, the planer because that'll suck you right in. But um, David, our own David Menzies interviewed the director of the Halton District School Board and he told him that the uh, dress code wasn't for teachers. It was for students only because this guy has fake nipple showing and that they 100% stand behind him. It's outrageous and i think if you're a parent who has a kid that goes there either you pull them out or the entire school board has to go this is just my opinion i i want to ask you how you feel about it but i think the whole school board has to go and even in the interview they're telling david menzies uh that he needs to refer to him as his, with his proper pronouns did you just say i noticed you're saying he and those aren't his pronouns we respect everyone based on the human rights code and i was sort of thinking when i heard that like this is what everybody said was going to happen when you not only enlisted these human rights tribunals but also when you said it was okay for a person to just say they're another gender because you've seen the stuff with bathrooms that happened in the in the u.s as well um and even um some creators years ago when got their um their sex changed very easily. And and I'd, I'd like to see an update on that uh, story. Somebody should do that again. But this is exactly what people warned about, I think, where you can just say, hey, I'm a woman now and you literally can't do anything about it. You can uh, do literally whatever you want and nobody can tell you. I think there's a family guy clip going on around this right now where a transgender person can do anything they want. But I want to get your take on this. What do you think is the appropriate action, if any, to take against a teacher who I would say, and you can disagree if you want, is, you know, bringing sexualization into the classroom? The images that we've seen in the videos are so disturbing. I grew up in the Niagara region, so about 45 minutes away from Oakville. And I guess I shouldn't have been surprised to see this happening there because of just how ridiculous everything has gone, especially in Ontario. Like the Ontario government has not been doing anything about some of the crazy trans stuff that we've seen introduced being introduced into schools. But, you know, I was really surprised when I saw these videos. I was expect I was surprised to see it in Oakville so close to my home. It's very disturbing. And you can see in all the clips that the children are so uncomfortable. And I mean, these students would not be taking videos and photos of their teacher and posting it online if they thought that it was a normal and healthy thing for them to be doing. They're obviously thinking that this is totally insane and bizarre, which it is. And I just don't think it's comfortable for those students to have to be in that situation. It's not even that he just transitioned. It's just how ridiculous the transition is and that anyone would even have to like look at those boobs or like be around them. Like he literally was inches away from cutting them off when he was in the shop class. Like it's just the most insane thing. And you can literally see his nipples through his shirt. Like that's not a normal thing. Even as a woman, like if you were to go to school, if you were a student, you get in trouble for like your bra strap showing at a lot of public schools, even like female students would. So certainly if this was a female student who had a situation similar, I'm sure the school would step up and say something. But when it's a male teacher that's transitioned, all of a sudden it's totally OK, even though they're putting their young male students in a really vulnerable and uncomfortable situation. I believe it's directly against the dress code to have nipples showing, which is insane that we have to talk about this about high school kids. But apparently that doesn't apply to teachers somehow. I don't get how that works. Do you think that there should be 
a statement given by any politicians. I made this comment yesterday that it would be a, a wonderful world where like, you know, Doug Ford or Pierre or somebody made a comment about whether they agree with or disagree with this. Or do you think it's just, you know, not wise of them to say anything about it? No, I think they should all say something about it. I'm a little tired of the, oh, it's not safe. It's not wise. To be honest with you, people being afraid to speak out is what got us into the situation that we were in during COVID. So I don't really have a lot of time or patience for people that are fearful to speak up against things that are obviously wrong and twisted these days. So I think they should absolutely be willing to speak up against it. I think that it's not sane. It's not normal. You need to stop acting like it's normal. I completely agree. I'm glad you said that. I think that if they're supposed to be these conservatives, which again, I don't truly have faith in them that they are. I think the Overton window keeps shifting and shifting, or as my friend John Doyle says, the slippery slope is real. They keep going along with it. And if they, at some point, somebody's gonna have to, you know, put their foot down and say, we are a party that's against this. We're a party that's against, um, you know, boys and girls sports, for example. And that was one of the problems I had with Leslin Lewis. She wouldn't really answer that question from a reporter, but I think, there's a time and it's probably now to start standing up against this stuff because as we see it's an international story and the fact that conservatives in America who are more conservative than the Canadian parties are saying what's going on up there and they're actually, you know, they're kind of doing stuff. That's that thing in Texas didn't uh, get followed through upon, but there's a clear cultural, you know, stance against this sort of thing growing and growing especially if you're a Tucker Carlson fan, that I think they would win many, many points if they came out and said something. But having said that, just like I mentioned, they're afraid of Twitter, they're afraid of CBC articles, and they're afraid of, you know, 12 people online, basically, saying that they're they're mean or something. I mean, isn't that not what it comes down to? Um, girls saying that it's mean to, you know, call this guy a guy. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely going to be some pushback against it, but I don't think it matters. I think that it doesn't matter if there's pushback, like you need to be willing to say these things. Nowadays, you know, we finally have some politicians that are willing to speak against something where they're willing to speak against the COVID-19 restrictions that we saw, albeit it is convenient now as the freedom movement has sort of moved that way and they've sent the sense that the winds have changed. And, you know, maybe it's not as popular in Canada to say that men are men and women are women, but those things still need to be said. And we need to have people who are willing to say it. And when it comes to sort of the woke gender ideology, this is one of the most harmful things that we're seeing right now. And in Canada, you're right, we're not having those conversations yet. And we need to, because so what if we change the government and we're able to sort of pull back some of the insane things that we've seen the liberal government do and get Canada on the right track again through legislation and also the economy? It won't matter if we hand it down to this next generation that's been lied and deceived to and abused. And right now they are. They are being harmed and no one is speaking out against it. And we're doing our, the next generation a disservice. And we've even seen that here in Alberta a little bit. I asked uh, some of the candidates questions about, you know, how they felt about men performing in women's sports. And a lot of the candidates weren't willing to say anything against it, even here in Alberta. So, you know, it is definitely a problem that we're seeing across the board. And it's something that we need to start speaking out against more. And I'm glad that we have so many independent, you know, conservative media outlets that are all willing to write about these things. I think the Post Millennial has done a really good job at exposing some of the crazy woke gender stuff that we that we've seen. And of course, you know, Rebel News has been on as well, Counter Signal as well. But we need to see our politicians start speaking against it. And to be honest with you, politics usually follows culture. So if our voices are loud enough, I think eventually it will give them no choice but to have to start speaking about it. 
Rachel Emanuel, next prime minister, you guys, uh, running it for uh, office no in a way. town near you. Go up to <laughs> do the move. Go up to none of it or something. Run for office there unopposed. Um, 20 votes to five will be the result or something. And uh, I think you can get a spot in the conservative party in the near future, Rachel. How I don't know. That? I think I might be too conservative for them. Probably. And uh, I don't know. Are you a big uh, PPC girl? Or do you not want to say? I understand if you don't what, want to say. I I actually think I sound like I I signed like a PPC founding document when I was in like grade eleven, which is so hilarious. <laughs> um, and then it got really big later on, so I was totally ahead of the trend on that one. What if I run under the conservative banner and then just sort of quickly sw slip away, and well, I'll probably get kicked out of caucus, and then I can be the first PPC MP in uh, Ottawa? That'd be pretty cool. I think you're revealing your age here. For some people, we'll be able to do the math. Um, when PPC sent this letter around, somebody's we're gonna have to get a Canada land research team on that or something. The hit piece is coming. It is. I'm making notes about it right now. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me. Anything else you want to say before we let you go? No, very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It's great to be talking about some of these things. I appreciate you. Have a good day. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Take care. Set aside where they get to the stalling house side where they get to the walking no side for the people that's off in rustling my boy you know that i'm talking hey rustling my boy you know that i'm talking hey look rustling my boy you know that i'm sent aside i don't trust a single soul inside need to euthanize sit on their ass while they loot the guys with their suits and ties we rip them off with the strength of gods if i see nancy pelosi or kevin mccarthy we fighting like budokai yeah